Hello and welcome in this new uh, Ozinter Origins episode. Today we are very happy to welcome Thomas Dezute from uh, Chainalysis. Hello, Thomas. Hi. Hi, Sylvan. How are you doing? Fine, thanks. Uh, Thomas, could you introduce uh, yourself, please? Yes, of course. Well, I'm, I'm Thomas. Um, I work uh, in the Amsterdam office of Chainalysis uh, and I'm a government strategist. Okay, thank you. And so what is your professional background and how did you begin to work in the cryptocurrencies uh, domain? Yeah, it's a good question. And I think just like uh, many of us, you know, it basically got my attention in 2016. You know, I came from the Lambos, I came for the greed, I came for the quick money, you know, to, uh, to find out what actually what is going on in this space. Uh, and eventually I turned out to even make my career out of it. Um, but my professional background is I studied uh, criminology at the Free University of Amsterdam uh, because I had a, quite a lot of interest into the public sector that deals with law enforcement and national security issues. Uh, and actually, I started my, my, my career as a criminal intelligence analyst for the Dutch National Police all the way back in 2009. Uh, and over the past 10 years, the past decade, I worked in various roles and in various capacities mostly dealing with uh, emerging threats, emerging technologies, uh, and ended up leading uh, a specialized team within the Dutch public sector tasked with uh, cryptocurrency and blockchain analysis before I joined Chainalysis. Wow. <laughs> and um, so what is Chainalysis and what is the creation uh, story of uh, Chainalysis? Yeah, it's a very good question. You know, and at its core, Chainalysis, definitely it is a, a, a data platform. Uh, and or data, very simply, very put simply, or data links cryptocurrency transactions, yeah, with real-world entities, with real-world services, uh, and we provide data, software, services, training, and research to government agencies, exchanges, law enforcement, of course, financial institutions, insurance, and cybersecurity companies, uh, and we do that uh, in more than 60 countries. Uh, actually, if you look at our data, it actually it, it, it powers investigations, compliance, uh, and market intelligence software. And that's one of our last products, and maybe we can dive a little deeper into that later. Um, and then all those stuff has been used to solve some of the world's actually most high-profile cases, most criminal cases, and uh, we try that to grow consumer access to cryptocurrency safely. Um, and I think you already checked it online, but our mission is to build trust in blockchains, to promote more financial freedom uh, with less risk. Okay, and so the story of uh, Chainalysis, how it was uh, created, when? Uh, it, it's actually quite funny. It started with a, actually with a, with a real problem, a real problem for law enforcement. Uh, and in February 2014, maybe you and some of your listeners are well aware of this fact, uh, but Mt. Gox, then the world's largest cryptocurrency exchange, uh, announced that it had been hacked. Uh, more than 850,000 Bitcoins had been stolen driving uh, Mount Gox into uh, bankruptcy. Do you actually know why it is called Mount Gox? Why, why, did, why they chose the name? No, no, go for it. Well, it, it. Originally, it was actually an online exchange platform for Magic the Gathering cards, so MTGOX, so Magic the Gathering Online Exchange. But, you know, suddenly the domain was also quite useful to start, the, at that time, the largest cryptocurrency exchange on Earth. But the thing is, when Mt. Gox actually was, uh, was hacked in February 2014, and at, at, at that point, um, no one really 
liked talking about cryptocurrency. You know, running an exchange at that time, it was tough business. And at this time, you know, our co-founder and CEO, Michael Groniger, uh, he's Danish, began speaking to banks and regulators in Asia and Europe and the US. And he kept hearing the same issues. They couldn't monitor transactions. No one actually understood the return of funds. And most concerning, crime couldn't be investigated. And just, you know, to, to help solve um, the problem of better understanding the flow of funds, um, in the most transparent financial ecosystem ever created, Michael Gronica decided to create a Chinalysis code and software prototype. Um, I uh, can disclose all of our secret sauce, but using new methods developed specifically for the investigation at that time, uh, Chinalysis determined that the private keys of Mt. Gox's uh, hot wallet had actually been stolen uh, years earlier. And since then, Bitcoins had steadily flowed out, often as soon as it was deposited. And this investigative work led uh, to the arrest of Russian national Alexander Vinik, uh, who was charged with laundering hundreds of thousands uh, of stolen Bitcoins through BTCE, an exchange he ran, uh, which US law enforcement seized after his indictment. So, and that is kind of like the short story um, regarding the, the foundation and, you know, the first problem that Chinalysis helped to solve back in 2014. And actually following the successful Mount Gox work, uh, Chinalysis offered actually its, its new developed investigation solution to global institutions. At that time, mainly law enforcement, of course, uh, and also starting cryptocurrency firms uh, using the software suite. And throughout the years, we have rolled out several products that aim to further legitimize cryptocurrency, but yeah, both as an asset class and a technology that the public can invest and uh, yeah. transact with. And using uh, open source intelligence techniques to to investigate uh, on all uh, this kind of stuff. Yeah, definitely. And, and I think that's that's a very nice nice hook that you put there because, you know, blockchain data is publicly available data out there. Anyone can actually watch it, download it and analyze it. Um, current Bitcoin blockchain, for example, is almost 420 gigabytes. Of course, you need a bit of disk space to download it, but then you can independently verify, you know, with your own ground truth data, with your own eyes, with your own software and tooling and solutions. And I think that is maybe a nice kind of analogy between blockchain analysis and maybe the work uh, that you guys all uh, are very much into OSINT, is that most of the time you all look still from the get-go at the same data set, the same sources, the same possibilities. But then the way, how do you enrich it? How do you attribute it? How do you find your ways to it? How do you actually make sense out of all of it? You know, it's like taking a drink from the fire hose. So how do you actually do that? And that is, of course, you know, cool stuff. Yeah. So um, could you explain uh, for our listener in a nutshell how Bitcoin work and how it permit to investigate on Bitcoin transactions, you know? Yes, of course. And I will try to do that. Maybe I will be cutting some corners here. So if there are really technical guys on this call, please forgive me. <laughs> um, but, you know, one of the most common uh, misconceptions about cryptocurrency is actually that it is totally anonymous and untraceable. When, when in fact, it's, it's quite the opposite. You know, Bitcoin presents unprecedented transparency. It's the first global payment system outside of any of organizations control and the blockchain creates a public permanent record of transactions and the challenge is, is that the public blockchain ledger that you and i can also just both uh, analyze you know on our own computers in our spare time is actually quite difficult to interpret you know that's where we come in as chinalysis and transactions are of course recorded on the blockchain when there has been a transfer of value from 
one cryptocurrency address to another cryptocurrency address. And just basically it comes down to this, is that cryptocurrency addresses are represented as strings of alphanumeric characters. And the transaction actually information includes the, of course, the amount sent and received on the other end, the timestamp, so the moment of the transaction, the transaction fees and the associated block blockchain. And they do not, however, and that is, I think, you know, uh, the essential part, especially for, for, for your uh, listeners, is that they do not uh, provide information on the individuals or the entities making those transactions. Well, Chainalysis actually connects those cryptocurrency addresses to their real-world services. So in Chainalysis, you would be able to see that a given transaction, for example, was between a user at Coinbase and a user at Bittrex or with a darknet market, a known ransomware actor, or any other legitimate or illicit service operating on the blockchain. And uh, although Chainalysis, we, we don't actually uh, have any personally identifiable information, PII, so um, we wouldn't be able to tell you who is behind those transactions. But I think your listeners, especially those who find themselves in law enforcement agencies or national security elements of the public sector, they can, of course, subpoena exchanges where a suspicious actor is cashing in or out uh, and ask them for more information. And that is, of course, where the cryptocurrency industry is more and more implementing AML, anti-money laundering, and KYC, know your customer uh, regulations to be compliant in this space. Maybe you've tried it yourselves. If you try to set up an account at a certain exchange that, you know, you needed to make a picture of your own your own hand and you had to photograph, you know, your passport or your uh, ID card and that kind of such. Maybe even hold on a paper with your name or the date on it. You know, it's actually <laughs> kind of a thing. Yeah, and it's uh, pretty interesting because what I think it's important to, to point out is uh, that in reality, the transactions uh, related to illicit trades are very small. Yeah, indeed. And that's a very good point you make there, Sofane, because... In 2019, you know, and I'm going to throw around some numbers here, uh, criminal activity represented 2.1% of all cryptocurrency transaction volume. And that is roughly some 21 billion US dollars worth of transfers. And in 2020, you know, the criminal share of all cryptocurrency activity fell to just 0.34%, so less than 1%, so some 10 billion US dollars worth in transaction volume. And actually one reason the percentage of criminal activity uh, fell is because the, the, the overall economy activity nearly tripled uh, between 2019 and 2020. Yeah. Um, so what are the limits for an individual, for an individual sorry, who wants to investigate in cryptocurrencies, transactions or wallets? Yeah, of course. And this is, of course, where we try to, you know, get more fans and enthusiasts in this space. Um, and in many ways, the inherent transparency of blockchains it actually makes cryptocurrency investigations easier for law enforcement to undertake well why well in comparison to more traditional financial investigations involving fiat currency blockchains they act as a permanent publicly viewable ledger of nearly all cryptocurrency transactions making it possible for anyone and especially investigators to track funds movements uh, between cryptocurrency addresses, something that just it, it isn't simply possible with fiat currency. Um, and however, cryptocurrency addresses are pseudonymous, which, which means that investigators need reliable data attributing those addresses to services uh, so that they can actually make sense out of it, human readable data. 
Um, and in order to draw actual insights or intelligence uh, from blockchain transaction records, um, incorrect or absent address attributions and well misunderstandings of how cryptocurrency businesses handle funds um, can lead investigators to false conclusions. And that is important to say and also that I would like to reiterate to your listener base. Uh, so it's important that investigators first, of course, use best-in-class blockchain analysis tools uh, to limit these, these mistakes and, and, and carry out successful analysis. And actually, we can, we can speak of, of three common mistakes investigators can make in cryptocurrency investigations uh, when faulty or incomplete blockchain data lead them astray off the path. You know, it's one, failure to identify mixers. Uh, two, attempting to trace funds through a service, like in this case, Bittrex or Coinbase. And third, failure to identify nested services and merchant service providers. Um, and you don't want to stand in a courtroom and present your data and that, you know, the defense side of things will just punch hole of it, you know, in two, three stuff. That's not good for you. And the image of your organization or law enforcement agency you represent. Mm -hmm. What is important to say, uh, again, it's, uh, for example, um, Bitcoin uh, change, Bitcoin update, Bitcoin upgrade. It's not uh, the same protocol as in 2008. And and so for you, does the Proot protocol uh, implementation make it more difficult to investigate Bitcoin transactions on wallet or not? Yeah, and, could, and this question obviously comes up uh, a lot last time, especially since, of course, the new Taproot upgrade. Uh, and what I can say on that is this, it, it, it is a massive improvement to the Bitcoin protocol. Uh, Lightning network improvements um, and expanded smart contract capabilities will improve Bitcoin's utility. Meanwhile, lower transaction fees and of course the increased network speed will actually improve its scalability. And that was one of the pain points for many years. Um, and th this will lead to greater privacy because your keys won't have as much exposure on the chain, but it won't translate to greater anonymity. It will just make simple transactions indistinguishable from those that are more complex and comprised of multiple signatures. Uh, so it will be not more difficult to investigate Bitcoin transactions and, and wallets uh, after the Taproot upgrade. Yeah, And you talk about uh, Lightning Network, uh, very promising technology, uh, especially if you don't want to pay a lot of fees and everything and if you want uh, transactions uh, very fast. Um, How does the development of the Lightning Networks impact the functioning of transactions between individuals and, and so also the, the investigations? Yeah, very good question. Uh, and also closely aligned with the new Taproot upgrade. But the way to see and look at the Lightning Network, it is a decentralized system for instant high-volume micropayments, so small payments, that do not require the delegation of custody of funds to third parties. And Lightning actually enables users to more efficiently use Bitcoin, the world's most widely used and, and valuable virtual asset that we know of. And for smaller payments, such as tips and remittances, instantaneously, and it is also way more scalable. And although, of course, the Lightning Network launched already in 2018, so it's not that new, uh, governments and corporations, including, for instance, El Salvador, I think you and maybe some of your listeners have heard of that case, and recently also Twitter, um, before Jake left, Uh, I've recently adopted Lightning solutions for payments, driving adoption to record highs. And just uh, being analysis, we, we throw numbers at things. So, you know, according to our own data, more than three and a half thousand bitcoins uh, are currently locked up in uh, public Lightning network channels. As of uh, the 1st of December of this month, 2021, 
uh, up from over 450 bitcoins uh, worth roughly on January 1st of this year. So, you know, you see an increasingly adoption of and use cases of the Lightning Network. And I think one of the last maybe uh, relevant uh, and very interesting developments is that uh, Chainalysis uh, will officially support the Lightning Network for all or KYT, standing for Know Your Transaction, customers that, that's mainly a cryptocurrency businesses and virtual asset service providers themselves uh, from February 2022 onwards uh, so that is a very interesting and exciting development mm -hmm. um, how is it possible to know that a specific wallet is owned by this or another exchange so for sure we we know some specific pools from Kraken Binance and everything but how can you be you know how Can you know? Uh, yeah. How do you do what you do? Exactly. <laughs> Very, good. Very good. Well, let, let me try to give you an answer that, that makes sense. Um, but criminals often move cryptocurrency through intermediary wallets in an attempt to, of course, throw investigators off the trail to obfuscate the funds. And these transactions are relatively easy to trace with most blockchain analysis tools as, invest as investigators can actually rely on the blockchain to show them with which new addresses received funds following each transaction. However, uh, and this is more uh, pointed to your question, investigations become trickier when funds hit, of course, hit like a service, like an, like an exchange, actually. And, you know, it's impossible, as I stated before, to trace through an exchange where funds are sent after they arrived at a deposit address hosted by a service. And at this case, the, the, the blockchain alone, without what we would call attribution data, like Genalysis data in this case, is no longer a reliable source of truth, so to speak, at this point. Well, why why is this, you might ask? Well, it has to do with how service, uh, services, exchanges, actually manage users' cryptocurrency. Because when someone sends cryptocurrency to their deposit address at a service, you know, the cryptocurrency doesn't just sit at that address. Instead, it, the service... It's, it, it moves it around internally as needed, pooling and what we would call co-mingling it with the funds of other users as needed. And for instance, many exchanges uh, right now and for many years keep portions of deposited funds in what is known as cold wallets, disconnected from the internet uh, for security reasons, obviously. Uh, and this idea holds true in the field world as well. If you actually would like to deposit like uh, a 10 euro a bill at an ATM, and then withdraw the, the, the 10 euro bill one week later, you're not going to receive the exact same bill of 10 euros you originally had. So, of course, um, blockchains don't know that services, internal fund movements aren't ordinary transactions as we understand them. They, um, they get recorded in the ledger just like any other transaction. Therefore, it doesn't make sense to continue following funds once they have been deposited as a service, uh, as the owner of the deposit address isn't usually the one making that uh, after that point. And only the exchanges themselves, they, they know which deposits and, and which withdrawals uh, actually are associated with specific customers. And that information is kept in the exchange uh, order books, which aren't, of course, visible on blockchains or in, in this case, analysis data platform. And... Well, actually, in order to, to prevent investigators from mistakenly following funds uh, after they've been deposited at the service, Genalysis Reactor doesn't show, this is our flagship product, it doesn't show the outgoing transaction history for individual service deposit addresses. And this is for good reason, because think of it like 
the blockchain as a map, as a map that shows you where cryptocurrency moves. It's useful, but by default, the blockchain is a map where none of the countries are labeled, which makes it actionability limited. And as the blockchain data platform, Chainalysis fills out this particular map, uh, providing labels that allow investigators to understand who's actually in control of those funds when they move to a specific address. And if labels then are inaccurate, investigators will, will actually will just waste time and resources uh, chasing down inaccurate leads. And the mistakes we, of course, described already above uh, mostly boils down to incorrect or absent labeling and show why it's so important uh, for investigators and professionals in this space to, to evaluate blockchain analysis, provide a track record of actually just attributing cryptocurrency addresses, <laughs> it sounds pretty simple, to the correct services and their ability to accurately label, label this map that I just uh, used as an example. And blockchain analysis tools are, of course, only just as good as their underlying data. You talk about um, the um, blockchain and anonymous and all this kind of stuff. Does Monero's that cars are bulletproof to investigations? Yeah, and this 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 is always, of course, the the exciting questions. <laughs> and with a lot of engagements that that I have uh, engagements and and professional speaking opportunities, people always ask, of course, about the privacy coins because they're interesting. But no, Monero and Zcash and other privacy coins, they aren't bulletproof from investigations. And while I, I can't speak uh, to any specific customers or cases related to privacy coins, and I think especially your audience will understand, you can go to public procurement databases that show that we actually have contracts with, uh, with government agencies around Monero tracing. And while, you know, some illicit actors, including ransomware groups, use privacy coins in an attempt to obfuscate, of course, their transactions, uh, they haven't been adopted to the extent that one may expect. And one reason is actually quite simple, is that they aren't as, as, as liquid as, as Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. And especially, uh, and that's something you, see, you saw already over the last years, is that now that many exchanges have delisted privacy coins, given regulatory guidance, they're becoming increasingly impractical. You know, cryptocurrency is only useful if you can buy and sell goods and services or, or, or cash out into fiat. And that is much more difficult with privacy coins. Yep. So what are the next challenges for those working in cryptocurrencies investigations then? <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it, especially in the cryptocurrency industry. I mean, you know, uh, a day in crypto is a month in traditional finance. So things are, you know, going crazy, crazy fast. And this financial landscape um, is changing and law enforcement uh, and national security elements, investigators, they, they have to adapt with it. Um, cryptocurrency has taken a financial world by storm over the last year, but, but many agencies, law enforcement agencies and investigators, particularly at more state and local levels, they don't yet have the tools or the data they need to effectively investigate cryptocurrency related crime. And while um, or research and available data indicates the vast majority of cryptocurrency transactions are for legitimate purposes. Um, cryptocurrency has a special appeal to certain bad actors, and we expect to see more criminal cases involving cryptocurrency as, of course, global adoption grows. Um, furthermore, it's, it's not just sophisticated cybercrime investigations that have a cryptocurrency angle. You know, the technology is already, you know, showing up in cases across all types of crime, cybercrime and cyber warfare. And this means law enforcement agencies and national security elements at every level, you just must increase their cryptocurrency literacy 
up their game and develop effective investigative strategies. And cryptocurrency isn't just, you know, like a, like a hype anymore uh, or just a cybercrime issue or something to just be regulated to the few highly trained investigators working complex, just financial fraud, man. It's, it's a global phenomenon and, and tool more and more criminals of all types are incorporating into their activities. Um, and as such, it is essential to bring cryptocurrency uh, literacy to all levels of, of any public sector agency or unit and investigators who don't become cryptocurrency savvy may soon find themselves uh, out of date and losing the upper hand to cyber criminals and threat actors would do and so which people or articles do you recommend to follow for somebody who want to begin uh, in ASINT investigations on cryptocurrencies well, this is, of course, always the, the commercial break question. But, you know, uh, agencies, of course, they, they can grow their cryptocurrency knowledge and tradecraft and formulate effective processes for cryptocurrency investigations by actually learning how to use blockchain analysis tools. And we have a lot of courses, multiple day courses on them. Uh, and also what I still think is a very valuable source of all sorts of information is Orch Analysis Block. Uh, where we actually share additional updates on practical ways agencies specifically can address cryptocurrency-related threats. And there's, there's a ton of content uh, on it, you know, with, with graphs, with, with the, actually with stuff that we use day-to-day. -day. So it's just not a sales pitch that you can find there. And that, that maybe be the first step for agencies to equip themselves to, to identify, track, and at some point start to seize illicit cryptocurrency funds, ensuring both the safety of the wider cryptocurrency economy and also the protection of consumers. Uh, and if that is not enough, you know, just, just have a deep dive into crypto Twitter and, you know, you will see how far the rabbit hole goes. Yeah, also for the French listeners, uh, there is uh, Renaud Lifschitz, who is a well-known expert uh, in cybersecurity, but also uh, in, uh, in the blockchain and cryptocurrencies in France. And there is also, we are all very lucky because uh, we, we have, for example, the conference uh, Surf Surfing Bitcoin in the south of France. It's... It's pretty nice. Uh, it's not only maximalist guys who will talk about uh, about Bitcoin. I know you are maximalist, maybe. <laughs> no, no comment. No comment. <laughs> but uh, no, no, it's uh, very interesting, and there is a lot of yeah um, uh, of resources, uh, not only from the financial uh, things of cryptocurrencies, but for the technology and for for the mindset, the yeah, the blockchain mindset. So. What advice would you give to a person wishing to work in cryptocurrency uh, investigations? Well, of course, you know, you already hope that, that the fire, the spark already started and that people actually, you know, made some trades themselves, tried out some coins or tokens themselves uh, and actually then started to look like, hey, is this transaction that I just made to a friend? Is this something that I could actually look up? on my own myself through maybe just a publicly available blockchain explorer and then see, hey, but what kind of implications would this have? So future cryptocurrency investigators need to be aware of important facts. Despite the low share, of course, of transactions associated with criminal activity, a cryptocurrency is increasingly playing a role in nearly every type of criminal activity that law enforcement cares about. And this shouldn't be surprising. You know, most crime is, is financially motivated um, or at least contains some financial uh, components so it makes sense that cryptocurrency would be involved in a wide range of, of criminal threats um, as a new form of digital currency and criminals have of course have, have always been early adopters of technology and, 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 and crypto cryptocurrency is no exception and some forms of Criminal activity, of course, involving cryptocurrency, involved like in trafficking cases, human trafficking cases, fraud, 
child sexual abuse material and national security stuff like terrorist financing campaigns. And law enforcement agencies and investigators alike, they must just quickly develop the expertise and acquire the data and tools that it actually needs to investigate cryptocurrency-related crime in order to stay ahead of the threat. And the thing is, uh, and it sometimes comes up a lot with skeptics, because there are a lot of also skeptics in this space that have been predicting cryptocurrencies demise for more than a decade and have continuously been proven wrong and, and crypto is here to stay so then and uncertainty and, and volatility are, are just common to the emergence of any new asset class and that has of course also certainly been true for cryptocurrency and however as a growing number of, of, of public officials and leaders in the financial world will have acknowledged the significance and potential role cryptocurrency will play in the world's financial future uh, I'm just going to throw around some more numbers, but it was a recent report from Crypto.com used blockchain analysis and other factors to estimate that as of January 2021, roughly 106 million people on this planet now holds cryptocurrency, or put differently, roughly one in every uh, 37 people on the planet, um, 73. But th that figure represents, of course... A, a, based on the data by crypto.com and in the report a 70 70 percent increase from the firm's previous estimate in may 2020 and a 16 percent increase from december 2020 alone uh, other sources also including analysis ones they estimate similar adoption growth for the, this actually this new asset class and what, what will be the next three to five years bring what will it bring and is is law enforcement and, and governments and investigators are they prepared for the trillions of dollars that will be transacted and the untold billions in illicit activity. And we can see much of this, this growth reflected in just raw data, ground tube data, in cryptocurrency transaction volume and other adoption metrics. Um, so, for instance, you know, the, the weekly cryptocurrency transaction volume has grown from roughly 8.9 billion US dollars in late December 2018 to over 591 billion during the week of. Uh, May 2021. It's also important that to pay attention um, to to where sp specifically cryptocurrency usage is most active. And I'm hoping maybe you or some of your listeners actually have already found the or report or heard about it. But last year we created the Global Crypto Adoption Index, which actually ranks countries by cryptocurrency adoption, uh, adjusted for countries' population, of course, and economic size in order to capture the more mainstream grassroots adoption. And adoption is not only fueled uh, through centralized exchanges, but also, of course, by the growing popularity and availability of what is known as DeFi or decentralized finance. And networks as a means of transferring value. And as um, governments, financial institutions and businesses alike embrace this new economy, um, we are also likely to see greater stability and transparency. And global adoption rates they really are skyrocketing. I mean, last year we saw like an 880% increase year over year. And with this adoption will, of course, also come ever larger volumes of transactions and trillions of dollars in value. And, you know, to, to also bring it back to the more illicit use cases, because I think those will be the most interesting to you listeners. Um, criminals and illicit actors, of course, always follow the money. And they too are incorporating cryptocurrency into their criminal enterprises. And I think we are likely to see a greater use of scams, frauds, and other cyber and ransomware extortions involving cryptocurrency. Um, 
And we're also likely to see a greater level of sophistication in this space. Employed as criminals, of course, adopt, improve and adapt the blockchain as a way to move funds instantaneously across borders to, of course, evade detection, taxation and launder the proceeds of their crimes. And by saying that, I think cryptocurrency is truly the the native currency of cybercrime and cyber warfare. In a nutshell, buy Bitcoin, use Bitcoin, buy pizzas with Bitcoin. Yes, I'm not, I, I don't think I should be the one to say or to give financial advice uh, to your listeners. I think they can very well do the math themselves. But let's just put it as it's a very interesting place and maybe you don't want to miss out. And, you know, it's fun. You know, it's actually just fun. Buy some stuff, make a transaction, see how it works, send some stuff to a friend and, you know, this this magic internet money will do its thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, for, just as it did for me. So. Yeah, exactly. For example, in France, in Paris, we are lucky there is a bar called the Soft Bar, and it was one of the first uh, bar in in the France uh, who accept. I, I think it was the first bar in in France who accept cryptocurrencies, and you can still buy your beers or crypto cryptocurrencies and everything, and use it. Uh, use 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 Bitcoin and everything uh, to. It's fun. Yeah, it's fun. To buy a beer. Exactly. Thomas, thank you very much for your time and for your intervention. Thank you to Chainalysis for sure. Uh, It was very cool to to have you and uh, I am sure the listeners will will love this, uh, this podcast. So you can, uh, for the people who are listening to us, you can uh, see the the same interview uh, on YouTube on ozinterfor.com. Uh, website but also on our YouTube channel so it was uh, animated by uh, me Sylvain Angeri co-founder of Oz Interfar and we have the luck to have Thomas today thank you very much Thomas thank you so much Sylvain and for all the listeners like and subscribe (laughs) exactly and buy Bitcoin (laughs) (laughs) thanks